Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Consider me prepped and ready to go. Hello, caller. Ah, Mr. Alan Cumming, how are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Very good. Can I welcome you to um, a very special episode of Homo Sapiens? How juicy and lovely. <laughs> if you think this is juicy, Alan, you hold tight, my friend. Oh, I know. Wait. Because our guest today, Viewing Millions, is none other than Dan Savage, sex columnist and media commentator and author and sexy and sexual renaissance man. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's going to be fascinating. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm having coffee today for the first time in like 10 days. And how's that feeling? Fabulous! <laughs> <laughs> I feel really <laughs> I would re- a bit jingly. Recommend just cup. turning down Alan's volume a little today, just in case <laughs> it will be a little high energy. Yeah, yeah. Dan Savage has got it's the Savage Love cast, isn't it? Yeah, Savage Love's his column in The Stranger, which is a, a newspaper in Seattle, and it's also in other places as well. I think he's syndicated across the United States of the Americas, and he's got a podcast, and he's on telly, and that's he's everywhere. It. That's how I I came to know him because of his podcast Savage Love Cast, where people phone in uh, and he gives advice, yeah. and it's very, yeah. and I'm sure lots of people listening listen to it because it's yeah, I'm sure it's a queer institution, um, yes, much like us. Um, <laughs> but who wants to be in an institution? One of the things that I really want to talk to him about is that he had a um, he had a phone relationship with Jake Shears. When Jake Shears and the Scissor Sisters was coming out. That's right. When Jake was like baby, a little baby Jake, wasn't it? When he was coming out. We talked about that when we interviewed Jake, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's so cute. So and he lovely. really helped him. And then they became real life friends. Yeah. And he's like, Dan. That's nice. The thing about Dan Savage is he's sort of the anti-shame ometer. You know, he's just oh so God. good yeah. at cutting through why you shouldn't be ashamed of anything sexual. Totally. Political. And it's that's unusual in, in in the USA, let me tell you. And that's why I think he's mm. so so celebrated and so unique and also so kind of uh vilified and feared in some quarters as well for this openness and lack of lack of shame because that's not those are not qualities that america uh, certain uh, certain quarters of america mm. like or uh, espouse what's even better because the man dishes out some of the best advice in the business agony yes. uncles today listeners <laughs> it's special edition ladies and gentlemen we're gonna go straight to what what do you call it what's the we're gonna the nub the nub and we're gonna get yeah. dan to answer your agony uncle questions Agony, Agony Uncle. Uncle. I mean, with special guest, Dan Savage. 
Finally, you're going to get yes. hold of some vaguely decent advice. <laughs> I know, not our amateur psychology coffee-infused ramblings. Yeah. It's going to be Dan Blooming Savage. So let's uh, head over and talk to the man, Dan. I'm really glad to see you've got your Impeach the Motherfucker already <laughs> t-shirt on, first off. <laughs> yeah, we had a few left over after uh, we, we shut down the shop after the motherfucker got impeached. And so it's basically all I wear because I'm too cheap to buy clothes for myself. <laughs> Did you know about this? Because this was a campaign that Dan had uh, to get Trump impeached. A successful campaign. Another one. <laughs> yeah, yes. I claim all the well credit. Um, <laughs> and, they, and they had all this merch going, I, I, let me see it on your chest. ITMFA. I-T-M-F-A. Impeach the Love motherfucker it. already. And what was great about the shirts is you would wear them out, you know, back when we could fly, you'd be wearing one on an airplane and someone would say, what does yeah. that mean? And you would say, impeach the motherfucker already. And then their reaction <laughs> told you everything you needed to know about your Absolutely. seatmate. Yes. Yeah. This is, look at my t-shirt. It's also of a similar bent in terms of reaction. Can you see it? Fuck yoga. Yeah, it says fuck yoga on it. It was a brand that actually I was the poster boy for years and years ago. I was in Vancouver and I had a little fuck yoga tank top because obviously, you know, I'm like you, I have loads of the of the merch left over. And uh, I was wearing it in the gym of the of the hotel I was staying in. And I was like, you know, at one of those machines doing the up and down things. The gym man came over to me and was going, I am I'm so sorry, I hate to have to do this. And I, th- I was like, oh, he wants an autograph. That's really what I thought. <laughs> wants a selfie. And he, I, <laughs> yes, and he said, it was kind of before the days of selfies, actually. And he said, uh, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the gym. I was like, what? And he said that um, some of our uh, patrons are offended by your shirt. I was like, what? And I looked down and it's my fuck yoga shirt. And I was like, why? It's a joke. And he went, well, some of them are actually, you know, do practice yoga here. And I was like, well, so do I. Look, look at my body. I'm obviously not a gym bunny. And um, they, they asked me to leave. I said, come on, Canada. When I saw the shirt on you at first, I thought it said, fuck Yoda. I thought you'd get thrown out of a Star Wars convention for wearing that. <laughs> is, is, is your T-shirt still for sale, Dan? Uh, no, no. Um, ITMFA is a riff on uh, DTMFA, which is shorthand in my column for Dump the Motherfucker Already. Because if you write an advice column, yeah. half the time you're just telling people they need to break up with the asshole they wrote the letter about. And when George Bush <laughs> yes. was president, I sold ITMFA merch, you know, when he was committing war crimes and it felt like he should get impeached. And I brought yes. it back for Trump and ended up raising uh, $300,000 for the ACLU, the uh, oh, wow. International Refugee Assistance Project, and... Uh, Oh my God. And Planned Parenthood and another 50 for 30 for uh, Puerto Rican hurricane relief. Wow, so it was so great. my contribution and my listeners contribution to the uh, uh, to the resistance in the first couple of years. Uh, but after he got impeached, it felt a little silly, although we could have you know, gone from impeached motherfucker already to impeached motherfucker again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So funny. That's uh, it's, it's I'm always really intrigued by you the way you kind of you know, have this kind of uh, duality between sexual, sexual advice and politics. Well, whenever mm. I write anything about politics, I hear from a whole bunch of readers, often more conservative readers, because they're interested in sex too. And people will write in and say, oh, I read you for sex, leave politics alone, stick to sex. And I always write those people back and say, I will leave politics alone when politicians leave sex alone. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but they don't, so I can't. I that's really good. That. I get a lot of like, you know, it's a lot of, famous people do like you know oh shut up why should uh, why should i listen to celebrities blah 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 all that stuff and it's you know there's there's no upside and no results in pointing out the hypocrisies of republicans but the people who always say shut up you're just an actor are the same people who put scott baio on the stage at the republican national convention the same people who say shut up and dribble 
to African-American basketball stars. Also, yes. then, if there's a sports person who's pro-Trump, we'll immediately put that person of on course. Fox News. Of course. It's only to shut up the left that they say these things. Exactly. Yes. And if and the thing is, it's because, you know, most of most artists and people com- with compassion and kindness are, are more likely to be, uh, you know, uh, Democrats. The problem with Republicans and conservatives is always that they lack moral imagination, that they lack empathy. They can't project themselves into anyone else's experience, which is why you're constantly seeing conservatives and Republicans who support gay marriage when their own kid comes out. When your kid is gay and would like to get married, fuck your kid. They support Mm. uh, treatment for drug addiction as opposed to incarceration when they get addicted to OxyContin in the case of Rush Limbaugh. When it happens to them, they suddenly see the social justice in that thing that before they couldn't see. And artists and actors and writers, you have to be able to project yourself into someone else's experience. You have to be capable of feeling empathy and, 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 and imagining what it might be like to walk in someone else's shoes. Yes. And therefore you are good. You're pro-choice, even if you're a gay guy, because you get it because you can imagine what it would be like someone telling you what you can and can't do with your body because you understand that. And Mm. Republicans, fucking don't because they, they they lack empathy and moral imagination but i think it's also true that point you're making that it's also that gives people uh right-wing people uh they can also use that argument to say well i have a gay brother so i can't be homophobic or do you know mm. what i mean there's mm-hmm. that as well it's an added sort of layer of that there's lack of imagination of gay people who are homophobic so let alone yes <laughs> having a gay brother yeah but dan i want i wanted to ask you because about your childhood and stuff and what was that like? And, you know, what kind of family did you grow up in? Uh, I grew up in a large Irish Catholic family on the north side of Chicago. Um, my dad was a cop. My uncles are cops. My brother's a cop. Uh, so cop family. In Chicago, you were uh, you went to a school that was like sort of a fast track to becoming a priest. Yeah, it's called the Preparatory oh, wow. Seminary. My dad was a Catholic deacon. Um, deacons are what priests are when they're apprentices. You know, you were ordained as a deacon and then a year later ordained as a priest. And to address the priest shortage in the 70s, the Catholic Church created the permanent diaconate where they would take married Catholic men, make them deacons, and they would have an agreement that if your wife died, you would then become a priest. And so my father was in the first class of the permanent diaconate um, and was, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, He was on the altar every week at the church where I grew up um, and went to school uh, and I thought about becoming a priest. And then one day I realized I could wear dresses and sleep with men without having to get ordained. <laughs> Spare myself Wait. the bother or pretending to believe. There's so much, there's so much to unpack there. Just less glam. <laughs> yeah. First of all, there was a priest shortage. There still is because of... Is there? Uh, yeah, oh, because, because of the, imagine, the celibacy yeah. requirement. And also, you know, you know, we joke about how many priests are closeted gay men. Well, once gay men had the option of being out and our only two options, at least for like us Catholic gay men, wasn't a marriage that was a lie or the priesthood. Once we could live as openly gay men and we fought for that and, you know, did that, then the Catholic church was sort of starved for all these closeted gay priests. You know, that was the option open to me. You know, I'm 55 years old, so I'm old. And I came out in 1980 and in the seventies, the options that I was wrestling with when, you know, I was closeted and a teenager and my dad was a Catholic and a cop and a, and a pra- practically a priest and very homophobic, um, was find a woman that I can close my eyes and jack off inside convincingly 
uh, have sex with or become a priest. And I, you know, I still believed when I went into high school. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'm not going to break my parents' hearts or get exiled from my family. I'm going to become a priest and they're going to like that. Uh, rather than become a fag, which I knew they wouldn't like, or not become a fag, tell them I was a fag and always been a fag. Mm. Did you know uh, that when you were thinking of becoming a priest that there was sort of gayness accepted within the priesthood? Uh, no, I, I didn't know that. And I was remarkably, uh, I feel like I walked through a hail of bullets and didn't get a scratch because I worked in a rectory and I went to a seminary um, and I had classmates and friends who were sexually abused and I was never, maybe because my father was a cop. I don't know. Mm. Other kids mm. I know uh, who were gay. Uh, it was often the gay kids that the priests preyed upon because they relied on our own sense of shame and complicity, even though we had been, you know, gay kids who were targeted by priests were being raped and victimized. There was mm. this conflict in a lot of gay kids about whether because of our, sexuality or nascent sexuality we had invited this or brought it on ourselves or initiated it or wanted it and mm. a lot of the other kids that you know that i knew that went through the same places i went through who were gay were preyed upon and i wasn't um and you know the joke is you know what what, what am i chopped liver that's often the joke that people <laughs> sardonically and bitterly make but yes. i think the reality was there was a little uh, zone of protection around me because they all fucking knew my dad and they all fucking knew wow. my dad was a cop fascinating wow and then when did you you you've radically changed since then yeah. let's say you know like was there a moment was there a person who you met and you just said actually i'm gonna fuck all this shame off and be me you know uh, i came out you know i was i was born in 1964 so by 1975 when i was 10 11 years old the gay rights movement and the lesbian gay rights movement and the you know as the acronym expanded and rightfully so um, was uh, was a presence, and the adults in my life were talking about it. Stonewall happened when I was five years old, and it. I was really fortunate in that I grew up in Chicago. Uh, also fortunate that my parents, uh, you know, their sideline was managing a restaurant, so they actually knew some gay people that were the okay gay people. You know, my dad was a homicide detective, so most of the gay people he met or knew were murderers or murdered. But he knew a couple of gay waiters. And as much as he disapproved and wouldn't let them be around his sons, they were okay. But mm. what really saved me was growing up in a big city where I could get on my bike and ride around. And I saw gay men out in public. Right. And I have this memory etched, this uh, indelible memory of being in line with my parents to see Logan's Run at the Water Tower Theater in downtown Chicago when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12 and there were two gay men in front of us, obviously gay, holding hands. And my mother, she's there with all four of her children. She wraps her arms only around me because she knew that um, I was the one who would see that and want to, like, run away, you yeah. know, with Peter Pansies. Wow. Um, she wrapped her around me kept saying to my father, they're weird, they're weird, they're weird about these guys in front of us in line. And I was looking mm -hmm. at them and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm weird like them. I get it. I understand. And look at them. They're wow. in love. They're happy. They're fearless. And I, I just I burned them into my memory. I remember how one of them was wearing a belt. Like he had this belt, long belt that went around his waist, but then also around his, through his leg and then back up his crotch. It was a very weird oh. way to wear a long belt. Um, wow. But it was like a little, like a little uh, harness almost. Yeah. And, you know, I remember those two guys and 
odds are one or the other, both of them died within the decade. And yeah. they saved my life because of how wow. brave they were. Like, you know, to be openly gay in a shopping mall in downtown Chicago now, maybe not that doesn't require guts. But then wow, at that yeah. moment in front of a cop, a Chicago cop. And also yeah. what we were talking about earlier, you know, can you, you know, can you say why are you talking about politics when you're talking about sex? Well, that was political and sexual right there in front of you. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. And unless people combine the two, you're not going to make progress. Yeah, absolutely. It's also funny. Like, do you think they, that, that couple heard your mum saying they're weird, they're weird? I, I don't I don't know. You know, no one's ever asked me that question. Maybe they heard it. My mother was not an asshole. Um, she had opinions, but she was never impolite to people that even right. the people that she disapproved of. And I don't want to paint my parents in too bad a light because they were only operating with the information they had at the time, which, yeah. you know, if my parents had been parenting a gay kid in the nineties, they would have been very different, but all they knew about mm. gayness then was it was something a kid drifted into like drugs or yeah. punk rock music or like a ship might drift into port or drift out to sea. And what you had to do if you felt your kid drifting in one of those directions was just nudge them. So they nudged me a lot and it was from a place of love and mm. operating with the information they had at the time. But the nudging yeah. was for me traumatizing because yeah. all it communicated to me was they disapproved that if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. Every time they said, I love you after I was like 11, I was uh, literally the voice in my head said, no, you don't. <gasps> really? Really? Oh, Dan. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right. I also think it's funny that you were in the line for Logan's Run because I think of Logan's Run as a kind of a weird um, sort of analogy for gay culture because for people who are listening who don't know it, it's this sort of sci-fi film. It's, it's got Farrah Fawcett in it. Yeah, and hot yeah, Michael Fos York. Michael York, that's right, post-cabaret. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, he and it's like this is a it's a sort of like a world where at age thirty or something you go to this dome or something and you kind of and something happens to you and people don't know what it is basically you get killed because there's not enough people uh, there's too many people on the planet I always thought that was like gay life do you know what I mean <laughs> <But> <laughs> after thirty you were executed in a thunderdome <laughs> you sort of age out and you kind yeah. of we were talking about that with a, a guest recently about that sort of ageism within our uh, culture and about how. You know that that it's that all those things like body fascism, blah blah, but also just like seeing old people 
um, mm. older people in environments like clubs or bar. I always loved, and that's like you know why mm-hmm. I, one of the reasons why I started club coming was to sort of have a place for all ages. But it's not it's not kind of um, it's not common in gay culture and I think that's that's I've always thought that uh, Logan's Run was a sort of (laughs) there's a lot in Logan's Run that that I think uh, anticipates some aspects of gay culture and straight culture now there's nothing gay people did that straight people didn't adopt once they were free to themselves you know we called them uh, fuck buddies and they called them friends with benefits we called it uh, tricking they called it hooking up they just took all our shit and renamed it Uh, but they basically (laughs) do everything that we used to do or used to be perceived as just gay. That's one of the things that's really interesting about writing about like politics and sex and sexuality and gay people and straight people over the last 30 years is just watching this line dissolve. That there was nothing gay about the gay lifestyle and there was nothing straight about the straight lifestyle. It was just the border was Mm. policed. Gay people weren't Mm. allowed to do anything but what, you know, the dominant culture then condemned us for doing. And straight people weren't allowed either, which right-wing nut jobs in the 60s and 70s correctly anticipated that straight people knowing gay people would undermine this sort of assembly line that got straight people married and pregnant and packed off to the suburbs by age 22 Mm. uh, and living just one sort of way. Because the lesson that straight people take if they ever go to a gay pride parade is look at all these different ways to be queer. Why is there just one way to be straight? Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. gay and queer liberation has been destabilizing of heterosexuality in this, at the same time that in some ways, you know, homonormativity or heteronormativity among gay people that some queer left people freak out about. So there are a lot of gay people out there who were consigned to bars and bathhouses and bushes um, and prevented from marrying and parenting, not because they didn't want all those things, but they weren't allowed them. And yeah. it was different. But, but, but what's really interesting about uh, Logan's Run is there's an internet in Logan's Run where people get online to hook up. Where, but but people are delivered to your apartment on this thing. I can't remember the name of the machine, but it's basically a hookup app. But instead of seeing a picture of the person, they're standing before you for a second in this thing that like can zap them into your apartment. Um, And there's like plastic surgery and this cult of youth. There's a lot of things that seem gay culture in Logan's Run. And Mm, of course, hot Michael York, which can't be discounted, although now he's right wing awful michael york so he's not hot oh he's his not age. is he yeah he's a he he's really? a right winger now oh so ugly on the inside oh god that's annoying can we talk about ageism in the gay community for a second let's because i think it's overblown and i'm almost 60 so i think i have the right to say as an older gay person i think it's kind of overblown as it made out to be more of a problem than it is <sighs> Some, you know, I get letters all the time from guys who say, I'm 50 and these 25 year olds won't sleep with me. Ageism. And (laughs) I will write them back and say, what about sleeping with other 50 year olds? Well, I'm not attracted to to men my own age. Okay. So who's (laughs) ageist? in this yeah. equation and who's yeah, the yeah. author of your problem that's funny yeah, yeah. and yes. I, oh, I don't mean it like that i don't mean i didn't mean it like that i meant it more like it being welcome in certain environments yeah. like clubs like certain bar like that i don't i mean i actually mm. think i totally agree with you on that one i think the the double standards of that but i don't think and, that's i don't think that's peculiar to the gay community or queer community no. you know if you're a 60 year old straight guy and you go to certain kinds of straight meat market pickup clubs for college students you're going to not feel mm-hmm. comfortable. People are going to ignore that's you. True. And I'm not saying that that's right in either environment, but we talk about it in gay environments as if this doesn't happen in straight land. 
Mm. And it kind of does. And it kind of sucks. And But, I, you know, there are bars in Seattle that I stopped going to when I turned 40-something because it was just like, yeah, this is a 22-year-old's bar. It's not like yes. I don't have bars that I can go to. And it's not like the 22-year-olds who want to fuck 40-year-olds don't know where those bars are. They do. And they show up <laughs> in them. My friend always said you should stop going to clubs when you start looking like undercover police. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, fellow kids, like, what's his face with the skateboard in uh, uh, Timmy Schmidt? Oh, yes. Yeah, I always found the gay world very, like, I loved that there was older people and younger people in the same space. I don't know. I, I always enjoyed that. That's interesting. I suppose that when you were talking, I thought, it's is it partly to do with that thing that there's that missing generation because of AIDS? There's a missing generation of sort of, you know, elders or mentors. So there's probably a kind of a lack of connection because there's they're not there. Yeah, do you find, the, the, do, even if those mentors existed, everybody didn't die in the HIV AIDS epidemic. No. There are a lot of gay men my age and older, and I'm at the tail end of yeah. uh, the gay guys who's, you know, one day looked around and said, all my friends are dead. Like guys who are my age and older experienced that. Mm. Guys who are my age and younger tended not to experience that. Mm. Um, but we, we didn't all drop dead. There's not there's not often an easy way for young queer people to access their mentors um, because we don't raise the next generation of ourselves in the same way um, Jewish parents, you know, raise Jewish kids. Queer kids aren't raised by queer parents. And it often seems like every gener every wave, every incoming wave of young queer people um, who are coming out, who are entering our spaces, our communities, their communities, their spaces have to, learn shit that we think we should all have learned by now, but they were isolated and ignorant um, and mm. kept ignorant. And then they show up. Um, you know, I, I, the example I always give is no fats, no femmes, no Asians mm. on personal ads, which I've written a million columns to crying. And I think it's terrible. And it feels should like... We just tell, should we just say what that is for people who don't, uh, listening who don't know what that means? Yes. Well, on Grindr or other dating apps where mostly gay white men... Um, do this thing where they, you know they're they have a they have their precious preferences and they're not attracted to people of other races or people who you know whose bodies don't fit some beauty standard that often that they their bodies themselves don't fit and they will put yeah. on their bottom of their ad you know no fats no femmes no Asians no blacks um, yeah. in in this way that is just scalding and depressing and wearying if you are. Asian, if you are heavy set, if you are black, to constantly encounter. Um, if you're effeminate, that's the other one. I or effeminate. So crazy. And the, the thing is that you see gay men unlearn that. Like a gay guy who's 20 puts that on his ad. He's just come out or he came out a few years ago. He's never been challenged on it. He gets mm. challenged by it, about it, over and over and over again. Hopefully, eventually gets it through his thick skull why this is hurtful. And why he shouldn't mm. do this. And then he stops. And he has been replaced by the time he stops with the next wave of young gay men who are doing right. that. And so yeah. because we don't raise each other, because we don't have a culture that instills as a value in, you know, prepubescent young gay kids or, or queer kids, why this isn't something you say, why this just creates hurt in the world that's unnecessary and easily avoidable and you can have your precious preferences hopefully you will think through them so you realize whether or not your preferences are actually yours 
you know, that's also something people often learn that, you know, I'm sleeping with people I'm not actually attracted to because I've been told I should find these people attractive. And you have to look Mm -hmm. inside and go like, am I attracted to more kinds of people or different kinds of people than I'm allowed myself to perceive or be aware? And that's a process. And, Mm. And the problem, I think, with the perception and queer communities and queer spaces and the way we complain about these things is we just can never accept that this is going to be a never ending process. This is the parenting of young queer people that we all must do because we can't parent young queer people really. We're going to have to parent them when they're 18 or 20 or 25 because we're Mm -hmm. not raising them when they're five. We're not their parents. And so there's Mm going to be all of this. This is going to be a constant. And, and it, and my and I you know get in my soapbox about this because people will point to this as evidence that it gets no better and that we make no progress and that you know gay people are as racist as they've ever been and it's just okay this is something we're always going to have to do and the fact that we're doing it is the evidence that we are pushing back is that we these aren't queer community values because watch the pushback when somebody does it. That's, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, transphobia, it's always going to exist in any mm-hmm. culture. Uh, and the, 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 the signifier of the health or value or, or of that culture is what's the reaction when those things manifest. Right. And is it, is it a passive reaction? Is there no challenge? Is, is there no fight? And I think in queer spaces, you see challenge and fight. And that is where we should look like the Mr. Rogers thing, look for the helpers, look for the challengers, look for the people no, who are getting in the faces of the people who put no fats and no Asians on their ads and they're out there. So do you mean it's like a, we have a, a more of a collective responsibility? We do. As a, as a group, because it's so interesting you say that because we talked on the podcast recently to this really fascinating young guy called Adam Eli, and he's written a book called the new queer conscience. Is that right? Yeah. And what he, he bases, um, sort of like he says the the, the uh, qualities in Judaism. He's Jewish uh, about like how everyone looks after each other and educates each other. You know, as their that's what we need to put, bring into queer life. And I thought that was such mm. a fascinating, and, and such a brilliant blueprint for like so we, what we don't it. have. That sort of looking out for each other thing, and mm. you know, having a and 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 as you say, educating Dan. I was curious about why you went to Berlin because you spent a couple of years in Berlin in the late eighties. What was I that did. about? Um, my then boyfriend, uh, Peter, uh, got a fellowship with the West German government to study arts management in West Berlin. Um, and they were so far ahead of us uh, on the rights of queer people at that time that I, as his, just as his boyfriend, not his spouse, not domestic partner, none of that existed then, uh, could get a, a residence permit to come with him, to accompany him to Berlin. And so we were just a couple of college kids and we moved to this far-flung neighborhood called Zeilendorf, which is on the edge of West Berlin, uh, right by the wall. And lived, we were in West Berlin in 89 and 90 and we were after the wall coming down. Uh, mm. After the wall came down, um, we were reading about the riot in... Uh, Prague. And I said, let's go. And we were in Prague for the Velvet Revolution. Um, We snuck money in in our toothpaste tubes and our anuses. And we were in Prague for the Velvet Revolution Uh, because you would change money on the black market in this one neighborhood in West Berlin, this one plaza, and then sneak off into Eastern Europe rich, you know, because you had so much money if you got it on the black market as opposed to the official exchange rate over there. Um, and, you know, I was in Wenzelsa Square when the commun- communist government fell. I saw Alexander Dubček 
uh, and Vaclav Havel speak from the balcony of uh, what? whatever hotel it was on that wow. square. And it was just a transformative time in my life. Uh, there's an interesting That's story amazing. about us going into Prague and there were no tourists in Prague. It was November. Tanks were lined up outside the city. The communist government was talking about a Tiananmen solution to these growing demonstrations. And we were approached on a street corner by these college students who gave us hand-typed flyers in Russian, German, English, and French and asked us to smuggle them out of the country about what was really going on in Prague because they didn't mm -hmm. know what was being reported outside the country. There was no internet. Mm -hmm. They had no access to, to Western right. media. Um, and they didn't know how it was being characterized. And they wanted the truth told. And they all thought they were going to die, that there was a real good chance they were going to die. Yeah. And we were mm -hmm. we went with these kids who intercepted us. Well, we were their same age. We were just kids. We went with them back to the philosophy building at the university and went into the room where they're all sitting around a table typing these flyers over and over again to try to find the 12 tourists in Prague in November when it's freezing Amazing. cold wow. to smuggle these things out. And we get intercepted because we're wearing Levi's and leather jackets. And those are the uniforms of the secret police who are pretending to be tourists or pretending to be oh, like, wow. And they don't have access to jeans and leather jackets. And so, you know, we could be secret police. And we were grilled. And finally, we were like, we are fags. We are not secret police. <laughs> this is my boyfriend. <laughs> my boyfriend watched us kiss. Like, we're not. The secret police wouldn't do this, right? And they were like, <laughs> okay, okay, you're not the secret police. And then they allowed us to, like, hang out. Uh, Did you actually and, have to kiss? Uh, I, you know, in, in in the telling and retelling, I think we kissed, but I'm, I couldn't it's be sure. You did, you did, you did. Yeah, you did we, did. Yeah, we did. You've got to keep that bit. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the night that the communist government fell, there were two things that happened that, you know, and we were, we didn't speak um, Czech. And so we were getting everything uh, in German and English from uh, other people in the square who were just flabbergasted that there were Americans there. Um, the, the minute we... The, when the announcement was made that the first indication that something crazy had just happened was there were all these state-run bars and uh, taverns and restaurants, not a lot, but a few around the square. And you heard yeah. breaking glass, which was a little scary. And it was because the workers in the restaurants were breaking out the windows so they could pass out steins of beer out the windows wow. until they like, protest into the streets. And then, and this is always like, makes me cry to talk about, especially at this moment when Poland and Hungary oh. and Czechoslovakia seem to be slipping back toward fascism, when the United States is slipping quickly mm. toward authoritarianism and fascism, there's this moment where the crowd, there's 500,000 people in the square, and you, the square can accommodate 500,000 people, surges in one direction, this giant Stalinist building with this balcony at the top. And the Stalinist buildings were always designed in such a way to make people look tiny and powerless against the power of the state. And it was the wow. offices of the their Pravda, the big daily newspaper. And they're chanting for the editor to come out. And this little man appears on the balcony and there's no amplification. Nobody has a bullhorn. And so the whole crowd hushes itself so they can wow. hear what this guy's going to say. And they're chanting, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because one of the things that happened right before the government fell was the, the paper broke with the government and started printing what was actually happening. And they were yeah, thanking the paper and the editors and the writers for coming over to the side of the revolution. And the editor like quiets the crowd and then says, don't thank us. We lied to you for 40 years. Oh, we have to apologize wow. to you. Wow. 
and then asked the crowd, instead of thanking them, if they could all sing the national anthem together, which as a callow young American, I was like, oh, God, a national anthem is bombastic and bombs bursting in air and it's militaristic and xenophobic. Like I was expecting some national anthem um, out of, you know, a ballpark because of my experience of national anthems yeah, yeah. and ballparks. And the, and everybody raises their hands uh, and makes a little V sign. And then they bow their heads and they sing the Czech national anthem, which is, where is my homeland? Which is a question. Mm. Not a statement, not a threat, not a bomb. It's a question. And it just gutted me at the time. And it still makes me cry because mm. Czech has Czechoslovakia and the Czech Republic now in Slovakia have had this experience like Poland of being wiped off the map over and over and over again. So for the yeah. national anthem to be, where is my homeland? As opposed to we mm. kicked their asses, didn't we? Yeah. Just broke my heart. And mm. I, wow. Dan, I did not think that you would be crying about the Czech, the Czech Republic on this podcast. Yes. Wow. <laughs> this took a turn, but a really fascinating yeah. one. Yeah, those were wow. really important times in my life. And uh, just those experiences. And, you know, I've never like really folded them into my work or written about them because they're not mm. relevant to uh, me explaining to straight people how to have a three-way. <laughs> What a great first part. That's the end of part one. Part two is available now in your feed. Head over there, crack open a cup of tea, click play, have a listen. Part two's great too. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.